This episode is brought to you by Podbean. Podbean is an easy and powerful way to start podcasting. We give you all of the tools you need for a successful podcast, such as unlimited podcast hosting, podcast distribution, monetization options for podcasts of any size, and live stream podcasting capabilities. Sign up today at www.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. You know what song I have stuck in my head? That live fast, die young, bad girls do it well. That song. And I'm going to have that song stuck in my head for the rest of this episode because of how well it represents our murderess of the day. But honestly, I think it's worth it for this one, ladies and gents. Welcome to A Murderous Affair, the historical true crime podcast about women known and not so well known for murder and mayhem. This episode, we're talking about Julie d'Aubigny, also known as La Maupin and the Princess of the Opera. Real quick before we start this episode, I wanted to make a note about the sources that I use. So I realized on a few of my episode descriptions, I forgot to paste the links for the ones that I didn't mention by name in the podcast. So I've gone ahead and updated that. Oh, uh, and I have music now. Thanks to Ross Bugden on YouTube. He creates royalty-free soundtracks for people to use, and this one's called Something Wicked and is Stranger Things Inspired, and so I thought it fit perfectly with the theme of the podcast. Anyway, back on track. This episode, I got a lot of my information from the website rejectedprincesses.com as well as badassoftheweek.com. These sites are actually really amazing, so if you haven't heard of either of them before, you should definitely check them out. I also read the short booklet, Julie D'Aubigny, or One of the Coolest Gals in History, written by C.J. Evans. Um, The author put together a lot of information here and told it in a really interesting way, so if you're interested in reading more about her, I would definitely check it out. And the last I looked, it was free on the Kindle store. All right, let's get started. There are a lot of French names. I don't have a good French accent, so I'm sorry ahead of time for how the names will be pronounced if they are not pronounced correctly. Julie d'Aubigny, also known as La Maupin and Mademoiselle Maupin, was a 17th century celebrity. She was bisexual and a whirlwind of fencing, seduction, and arsony. Um, I want a movie about her life immediately. There are a few in French, but it seems like most of America doesn't seem to know about her, and that's absolutely ridiculous to me. So we're changing that as of right now. Julia d'Aubigny was born in the year 1870. Nothing is really known about her mother, and there aren't any records to be found of her. Julie's father, however, was a very influential man. He was in charge of training pages for King Louis XIV, aka the Sun King. His official position was as a secretary to the Master of Horse, Comte d'Armanac, His name was Gaston, which makes me wonder, is this the inspiration for Gaston in Beauty and the Beast? Have we finally found the one guy who's got it all of it down? Because it definitely seems like it. Gaston was an accomplished swordsman. He would fence for hours every day, and then once he was finished, he would go to any bar, tavern, or brothel that he could find. He began teaching his daughter how to sword fight when she was around 12 years old. Some people believe that he began teaching her as a way for her to protect herself, 
and other people believe it was out of bitterness that he didn't have a son. Either way, she began training and soon became one of the best students compared to her fellow pupils. Now, in the 1600s in France, dueling was outlawed, but it still happened a lot of the time. It wasn't very often that women learned how to fence, but there were a few that did participate in the sport. During this time period, Julie would dress as a boy while practicing. It's also thought that she trained under some pretty famous fencing masters like Francois and Jean Rousseau and André Vernisson de Liancourt. Now, when she was around 14, she started sleeping with her dad's boss. She had found the one romantic prospect that her father couldn't challenge to a duel in her so-called honor, and that was a pretty sneaky loophole. Soon after the affair began, her father actually died, and because she was still so young, she fell under the guardianship of Comte d'Armanac, who was the man she was having an affair with. Super awkward. Now, their affair lasted about two years, and then d'Armanac, quote-unquote, became frustrated with Le Maupin's increasingly wild ways. He arranged her marriage to a mild-mannered clerk, thinking that it might settle her down. Now, Julie was described as being generous, brave, seductive, and passionate. And she was also considered to be very beautiful. Her new husband was very excited about the marriage at first. Once the two of them met, it turns out that there was no real chemistry between them. Their relationship was estimated to last between one day and one year. So kind of a wide time range there, but either way, not that long at all. Before, Julie arranged for her husband, Jean Maupin, to leave Paris via taxi service. Julie herself stayed behind. Now, at this point in her life, she basically ran wild. She loved fencing and would go to different fencing halls to engage in duels there. And it was sometime during these dueling adventures that she ended up gaining her first pardon, that's right, her first pardon, from King Louis XIV. This is also where she comes in as our murderess of the day. During her dueling career, she ended up being the cause of death for 10 men while dueling them. Again, Paris at this time was very anti-dueling and had severe punishment for those who were caught. However, these laws only applied to men. Julie, as a woman, was exempt from these laws on a technicality. And it was because of this reason that she gained her pardon. Also, she gained her pardon because she apparently amused King Louis XIV. There's also um, some people who claim that the reason that she was dueling these men was because she was actually trying to seduce their wives. So she killed 10 men whose wives she was trying to seduce at the time because they challenged her to a duel. So I'm not sure if that's actually historically accurate or if it's just part of the legend that's grown around her. Either way, I thought it was interesting to know. Eventually, Julie met a man named Henry de Soran and fell in love with him. Henry was also an aspiring swordsman, but they were forced to flee Paris when Henry killed a man in an illegal duel. And Henry did not have the benefit of being part of that loophole. So at this time, they both fled to Marseille. Traveling on the road, they began a career as street performers to make money. They demonstrated their fencing and singing skills outside different taverns and at traveling fairs, and Julie continued her tradition of dressing in men's clothes. During one show, a member of the audience shouted that they didn't believe that she was a woman, that she was a fraud trying to gain a large audience. So, in a moment of absolute badassery, Julie tore a hole across her chest, exposing her breasts to the crowd, and then continued on with the show. Now, eventually, Julie and Henry ended up going their separate ways. Julie, throughout these performances, had realized that she absolutely loved singing and wanted to join the opera. She auditioned for the Marseille Opera and gained a part. It was during these performances that she was known as Mademoiselle d'Aubigny and was also known to be a fantastic performer. It was also during these performances that a woman began to catch her eye. 
a merchant's daughter named Cecilia Bordigali. They began having a relationship, and it went really well for a while. But at some point, the merchant found out about their relationship. He ended up sending Cecilia to a convent as a way to keep her away from Julie's, quote, wild influence. Now, you might be thinking, poor Julie and Cecilia being torn away from each other in the height of their relationship. What a terrible way to end. But our girl Julie here, she is a woman of determination. A woman of many plans. And I'm imagining she thought, well, if they took her away, I might as well go to her. Because that's right, she found the convent that Cecilia had been sent to and told the nuns at the order that she wanted to join their ranks. And of course, they were happy to accept her, a young, beautiful woman just trying to do the Lord's work. And once she was accepted in the convent, she and Cecilia rekindled their relationship in secret. Now, in a really weird turn of events, a short time after Julie joined the convent, an elderly nun died, and Julie saw this as an opportunity. Um, just real quick note, there's no evidence that Julie herself killed the nun, as far as we know. But some people add it to her tale as kind of, um, part of her legend. However, what we do know that she did is steal the body of the nun, put it in her girlfriend's room, set the room on fire, and then make an escape with Cecilia. So, after all of that, joining the convent, stealing her girl away, burning it down behind them, you would think that it would mean that they were together forever. Well, for them, forever lasted about three months. And after three months, Julie grew tired of Cecilia, and she took her back to her parents, leaving her on their doorstep. Now, at this point in time, she was technically on the run, having been charged with arson, desecration of a body, and kidnapping. She didn't last that long while on the run, and eventually was captured in Marseille for her crimes. But Julie here had some friends in high places. She wrote to her old lover, Comte d'Armanac, and pleaded for him to help her. He used his influence to get another pardon for her from King Louis XIV. Two pardons, all before she was even technically an adult. Now, after being pardoned for a second time, she decided to return to Paris to pursue her dream of singing professionally in the opera. And on her way to Paris, she continued to perform in fairs and taverns to help pay for her journey. One night, she just finished singing for the crowd, and a man yelled out a come on, which was about the 17th century version of Does the Carpet Match the Drapes? And someone actually recorded the come on, so of course I have it for you guys here. And it is, quote, I've listened to your chirping, but now tell me of your plumage. So in the middle of the show, she stopped the performance and challenged not only the man who yelled out, but his two friends who were there with him on a duel. Our girl, Julie. So the four of them begin dueling outside with Julie fighting against the three men. And at one point, she ended up stabbing the man who shouted at her through the shoulder with her rapier. After having won the duel, she went back and continued her performance. But the next day, she felt bad about stabbing this man, who was named Luis Joseph de Albert de Luyens. And if you can't tell by his extremely long name, he was someone important. He was the son of a duke. Coincidentally, the day after the fight, a squire from Louis Joseph approaches Louis and delivered an apology on his behalf because he wasn't sure if she would want to see him in person. She accepted his apology and they met up later that night. And I guess she really accepted his apology because they ended up sleeping together that night and became lifelong friends afterwards. They continued their friends with benefits relationship on and off throughout the years until their mutual deaths. I think this is one of the first real life examples of history of a real enemies to lovers situation. So Julie continued with her journey to Paris. She took a few more lovers along the way, 
one of whom was a singing and acting coach who gave her some lessons during their time together, and another man who would actually become a fellow member of the Paris Opera with her named Gabriel. It's also estimated that at this point in her life, she was only 17 years old. So that's right, she accomplished everything that I've already talked about before she was even in her 20s. Julie was in all of the major Paris opera productions from 1690 to 1694. It's around this time that she began using the stage name La Maupin. She soon became a well-loved opera singer, but among her fellows was known to have a reputation to absolutely nobody's surprise. For example, there was an actor who was making unwanted advances and comments to all of the ladies. Julie, sick of it, attacked him one night with a wooden cane while he was walking down a dark alley and beat him up. The next day, the actor came into the theater and claimed that he'd been robbed by four young men who had also beat him. Now, when Julie heard this from across the room, she bust out laughing and publicly threw his empty wallet that she'd taken from him and his pocket watch from the night before. She called him a liar and a coward and declared that it had been she who had defeated him. Another story that often comes up when researching information about Julie is of when she crashed the ball that the Duke of Orleans was throwing as dressed as a man. Throughout the evening of the ball, she began courting one of the women and they ended up kissing in front of everyone. Now this infuriated the woman's three suitors and they all challenged her to a duel. They went to a park on the river sign where Julie fought all three men one by one in the moonlight. She won all three duels and proceeded back to the ball, leaving them injured in the park. She told the Duke about the duel and revealed her true identity before telling the woman she had been with what had happened. Obviously, this spread like wildfire through the royal court. Once again, Julie was spared from any legal offenses because she was a woman. However, the buzz was a lot even for her, so she made her way to Brussels to spend some time there until it quieted down. Now in Brussels, she auditioned and gained a position with the Theatre de la Cour, eventually meeting and having an affair with the owner, the Elector of Bavaria, Maximilian Emmanuel II. She gained critical acclaim from there and ended up being a, in a romantic relationship with Maximilian for many months. It's not documented how many, but the length of time they were together was unusual for both of them. However, their affair ended when Maximilian began giving attention to other actresses in the opera. It upset Julie to the point that during a performance when her character was supposed to commit suicide, she actually stabbed herself with the knife on stage. I think we all know at this point that Julie did have that flair for the dramatic. They reconciled for a short period, but once again, Maximilian ended up with another actress, actually marrying her once she gave birth to his son. And it was at this point that Maximilian decided to officially end things with Julie. To console her, he sent one of his men to let her know the relationship was over and also gave her 40,000 levers. Now, I couldn't figure out how to convert the number, but I was able to see that the original value of one lever was one pound of silver, and one lever itself converts to over $200. That gives us the range to assume that he sent a ton of money to Julie over the breakup. And Julie, who was enraged at his actions, took the bag of money offered and chucked it right back at the man who Maximilian sent to her. Some people report that she threw it at his groin and that she also kicked him down the stairs. It was around this time that she left Brussels. Okay, and supposedly there was also a trip that Julie took to Spain. Unable to find a job performing, she took a position as a maid to Countess Marino, wife to a royal minister and a very demanding and belittling woman. Julie held this job until she had saved enough money to return to Paris, but not before taking revenge on this countess who had mistreated her. On a day where Julie was preparing the countess's hair for a ball that evening, she pinned a few small radishes to the back where the countess wouldn't be able to see it. Supposedly, everyone at the ball was laughing behind the countess's back until she was eventually told why. 
She immediately returned home in a rage, but Julie had already packed and left to go to Paris. Now, this trip is still in speculation, as many historians haven't been able to confirm if it actually happened or is just one of the many exaggerated tales passed down by word of mouth. But it is known that in 1698, she rejoined the Paris Opera, and it is at this time that she truly reached the height of her career and fame, performing at two gala concerts, four opera ballets, and 20 operas over the next seven years. She was also invited to come along to the King of France's hunts, which was a very big deal. Her fame, however, did not lessen the amount of duels and mishaps that she got herself into. One notable event during that time period was when she was publicly insulted by a fellow actor who had no dueling experience, assumed to be a friend of her ex-lover Gabriel, or was Gabriel himself. Now, since it was a public insult, this meant that it was grounds for a proper duel. However, the man, who had no experience, would hide in his dressing room immediately after performances would finish and refuse to come out until rehearsal the next morning. And on set, their relationship was professional. But at night, Julie waited outside his dressing room every night for three weeks for a chance to challenge him. Eventually, he made a public apology and the matter was dropped. In 1701, Julie's husband returned to Paris. Remember him? They ended up actually having a good relationship and living together in the city until her death a few years later. In 1703, Julie fell in love with a woman who was known as the most beautiful woman in France, Madame la Marquise de Florenzac. Now, the Madame was not out to the public, so their relationship was extremely discreet. Their relationship lasted, quote-unquote, in perfect harmony for two years until the Madame died on July 2nd, 1705 from a fever. Julie was understandably distressed and that actually ended up being her final season at the opera. Some reportedly claimed that the distress was so much that it sent her back to religion and she spent her last few years as a nun, but that is not a confirmed story. It's more likely thought that she spent her last few years in the city that had brought her so much joy and opportunity before dying of unknown causes sometime in November 1707. At the time of her death, she was around 37 years old. And that is the story of Julie d'Aubigny. And she lived such an incredible life. If you're interested in learning more about Julie d'Aubigny, you can check out the sources that I mentioned in the beginning of this episode. She was honestly an amazing woman, and I don't feel as bad saying that now since the murders that she did commit were sport-related rather than for pleasure or power which I feel like makes a huge difference in these stories because she wasn't purposefully going out and trying to kill people. I hope you liked this episode, and if you did, consider subscribing or following wherever you're listening to this podcast so you can stay updated for when the next weekly episode comes out. You can find me online at Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Fermius Reads if you have any ideas for future episodes or if you just want to come say hi. To quote Aaron Mankey, I like it when people say hi. But that is all for this episode, and I will talk to you next week. Come talk murder with me. Goodbye.
This episode is brought to you by Podbean Live. Podbean Livestream is a unique platform for turning your podcast production into a live show. It's open to any podcast or on any hosting site. Easily invite multiple co-hosts and guests to join your live stream. Earn money from live show ticket sales and get listener rewards and engage your audience in new and exciting ways. Ready to get started? Sign up today at www.podbean.com slash live. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash live. 